Hey everyone, welcome to the third and final week of our series called The Table. And before we jump into what we're going to be discussing together, I want to take a moment and just let you know how thankful I am that we can all be together, even though we all can't gather. And it's not possible for all of us right now to all be in the same place in the same space in the same ways, but we can still, because of technology, we can still gather. So those of you that are here in the room, so great to see you. Those of you that are watching online, I want you to know we have not forgotten about you. We see you in the best way that we can, and we know that some of you would love to be here, can't, maybe because you're sick, maybe because you just don't feel comfortable yet, or you're caring for someone else who is in a high-risk category. So we understand that these are different times, but we can still all be together. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. As we talk about the table, here's something you know about your table. I know it about mine. It's true for all our tables. Is that so much more happens around the table than just food. Isn't that right? I mean, food's good reason to come to the table. That's probably the primary motivator of showing up, but so much happens around the table that has nothing to do with food. And what's interesting is that if you think about it, the table changes through the years. Your environment at your table changes throughout the years. When the babies are little, you got little babies, you eat in shifts. Everybody know what that's about? Eating in shifts? Yeah, so somebody's got to feed him or her, and it's just like, at, at best, you take a bite, they take a bite, you take a bite, they take a bite. I mean, when it's at best. If not, it's just in different hours. So that's interesting. And then the kids get a little older, and Johnny's got to get to soccer practice, and Sally has got to get to dance, and it's more of a grab-and-go. Remember those days of grabbing and going, grabbing and going? We kind of eat on the run. Yeah, sometimes that's reality. And, and then they become teenagers. And in the rare times you can get everybody around the table, it's just pulling anything out of them, you know, trying to get them to talk and interact and, oh, come on, give me something and what's going on in your world and that kind of thing. Uh, I hear that boys are uh, more challenging. We, we had, I had two daughters and so we had lots of talking Lots of talking. I saw a shirt the other day that said, you don't scare me. I had two daughters. <laughs> or I have two daughters. That's, I get that. I get that. And then eventually the kids are gone. And it's just mom and dad around the table. Empty nest. Table changes throughout the years. It does. This is Christmas. And around the holidays, um, a lot of people are around the table more than they typically are. But I think this year, our tables will probably look a little different, seem a little different, be a little different. Tables change. And things go wrong at the table. We know that, right? Stuff gets spilt. Food gets dropped. Words get dropped. Things get said. Things go wrong around the table. And then if you just want to take things to a new level, go out to eat. Go out to eat and take what happens at the table out in front of everybody else, right? And just let the whole restaurant see. Isn't it interesting that mom 
mom, it's always mom, I think. It's always the moms at the table that always remind everybody, everybody's watching us. Like everybody came just to watch you. They knew you were going to be here. And so everybody is just watching you. Yeah, that's right. Everybody's watching you guys. Things go wrong. And there's rules. Oh, so many rules at the table. Oh my goodness. Now, eventually you catch on and, and it changes from table to table, environment to environment, family to family. I get it. But there's so many rules at the table that you have to keep in mind. There's certain things you just don't talk about at the table. And they'll tell you, we don't, we don't talk about that at the table. There's certain things you can talk about. And you never really get the list. You never get the, really, get the list of the things you can talk about and can't talk about at the table. They just tell you in the moment, right? You, we're not talking about that at the table. And then the manners. The, the rules about the manners, there's certain things you can do with your elbows. There's certain things that you, uh, you know, you, you chewing a certain way, a certain way you can't chew. There's certain places you put your napkin, you can't put your napkin. There's rules about burping and, and other bodily functions at the table and, and stuff like that. It's just like, wow, there's a lot happening at the table other than food. But there is a rule that I think is almost universal. And, and, and I use the word universal lightly, I, I guess, or carefully. But it, it is something that I believe happens at a lot of tables, a, a rule. that, and, and maybe more so among, hopefully, among families who are followers of Jesus. But almost anyone, Christian or not, during the holidays, this rule applies. The saying of grace. Yeah. Now, somewhere along the lines, somebody, and we all know what it means when someone says the saying of grace. We know that someone is getting ready to pray before we eat and thank God for the food. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's what we should all be doing out of gratitude. Somewhere along the line, I don't know when or where, someone started using that phrase, decided that we will call the prayer before the meal the saying of grace. Even though you don't really say the word grace necessarily and you're not really talking about grace. I don't know where that started. Somebody probably does. But at right now, some of you are not hearing anything else I'm saying because you are thinking and playing in your mind the greatest table moment in cinematic history. The Griswold family Christmas table, right? Because they asked Aunt Bethany to say grace. Remember that? Yeah, it's just beautiful. She didn't understand. She started talking, mumbling about some lady that died 30 years ago and, and then uncle lewis clarified the blessing you know remember and so still confused she starts reciting the pledge of allegiance and appropriately cousin eddie stands with his hand over his heart it's a beautiful moment if you don't know what i'm talking about then turn the tv on just turn on any channel just about and 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 just look for it it's there it's a it's a it's a great great moment Grace, grace, grace. Grace is what a table needs. Grace makes a table what it can be, what it should be, what it ought to be. But I'm not talking about the saying of grace. I'm talking about grace and reality. Because grace is not just what you say around a table. Grace is what we experience. It's meant to be something that is experienced, something that is received and given around a table. Not just a dinner table, not just a holiday table, but the table of your relationships, the table 
of your lives as those, your family and friends, those you love and those who love you, gather together and do life together, that table needs grace. Not just somebody saying grace. Now that's great. But making sure you experience it. Because grace is what we give. Grace is what we receive. Because we all still need it. And what you may not know, and it's so important, is that God has set the table of history with grace. Let's start with God on this. Because grace started with him. He invented it. He came up with it. And he's a master at sharing it. He's a master at giving it. He set the standard by sending Jesus. God has set the table of history with grace. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. And then we're going to eventually, we'll get back around to your life and my life and the tables that we set and the tables of our lives. But God set the table of history with grace. God set the table of his plan, his mission on earth with grace. Grace is what's made it all work. Let me show you. I'm going to show you in a, in a very odd place, in a very strange um, place in the Christmas story. In fact, this is so odd, so strange, a lot of people don't even see this as a part of the Christmas story, but it definitely is a part of the Christmas story. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we find the genealogy of Jesus. He was the father of him, who was the father of him, who was the father of him, and then on, on and on and on, the whole ancestral line of Jesus, all the way to the point where Jesus was born. Helps us understand how God set the table of history, the table of his plan on earth with grace. And once we understand that, it'll help open our eyes to our own tables in our own lives. Let me show you. Let me put them up on the screen here. Here's a list of names where you will find in Matthew chapter one, a list of all these names. And I'm not going to read all these names to you. It would be fun because some of these are humdingers, man. You can't pronounce all these suckers. Amazing. One of my favorite names in this is the next to the last line. It's one of the longest names. It starts with the Z, Zerubbabel. That's just fun to say. Zerubbabel, Francisco, Zerubbabel. You know what I'm saying? It's another Christmas movie line. Maybe you'll pick up on it. Or, you know, Z for short. If you get a puppy for Christmas, I dare you to name your puppy Zerubbabel and call him Z. It'll just be our joke kind of thing. Look at all these names. Starts with Abraham and goes all the way down. Then down at the bottom, you get Eliezer, Nathan, Jacob. And if you kept reading, you would find that Jacob was the father of Joseph. Ah, there's a name we know. The husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Hmm. The family line of Jesus, the genealogy, his ancestral line, his family tree, helps us understand how God set the table of history with grace, how God has welcomed us all to his table through grace. Say, well, how? How is it just a list of names? Because of what's going on in those stories. Because of what's going on in those people's lives. Because in first century Jewish world, when you read chapter one of what Matthew wrote, and you saw those names living in first century Jerusalem or Judea, 
Being from a Jewish family, you know those names and you know what went down when those people lived and you realize how much grace was needed. I want to show you one more thing before we jump into grace. The next verse is, is fascinating. All those listed above, all those names, including 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Again, very interesting detail if you're a Jew, if you lived in first century Jerusalem or Judea. Now, for you and me, it's like, yeah, what's well, that got to do with anything? Let's, let's keep going, keep going, keep going. Can we open the presence now kind of thing, right? Because we don't understand that numbers mean so much to the Jewish people. It's called numerology, the study of numbers. And numbers were not just numbers that had numerical value. Numbers meant something to the Jewish people. For instance, what you have here are three sets of 14. 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. Three sets of 14. The number three signifies and represents the number meaning completion or fullness. And then the number seven, or any multiple of seven, and 14 is a multiple of seven. Haven't heard that in a while, have you? Seven times two is 14. The word multiple, you get it, right? Okay, so seven or any multiple of seven, and 14 is a multiple of seven, is the number that means perfection. So if you're a Jewish person, and you read Matthew chapter one in the first century, and you see 14, 14, 14, three sets of 14, you see design, you see purpose, you see God's hand in all of this because you see the names, you know the names, you were taught the names, you know the stories behind the names. We'll talk about it in just a moment. But you already know all of this and you see three sets of 14 and you think nothing stops God's plans. Nothing. Because at the end of three sets of 14, you have the Messiah, Jesus. The right time in the right place in the right way. Nothing stops God's plan. That's important for you to know. That's important for me to know. Nothing stops the plan of God. No situation, no person, no pandemic. Nothing stops the plan of God. Now, back to the people. Let me light them up. Some of these people, just, to, just so you know. Just so you know. When you know what's going on in their lives, you understand why this teaches us about grace and that God brought Everyone to the table through his grace and all of these people. Whew, boy, you're talking about a mess. Let's just start. Abraham, you're thinking, what's wrong with Abraham? Well, Abraham was a great guy, but he had a problem with lying. And he lied more than once to protect his own hide. And we're talking about Jesus' family here. We're talking about Jesus' family line. You would think that the family line of the Messiah would be pristine, squeaky clean. Uh-uh. Next name, Jacob. Abraham's grandson, Jacob's name means deceiver, and that's exactly what he did. He deceived his brother, he deceived his family more than once to get what he wanted. Next name, Judah and his brothers. Jacob had a son named Judah, and he had a lot of sons. So Judah and his brothers, if you're Matthew, Matthew's writing Matthew chapter 1, and Matthew wants to make sure that all the people who are reading this line of Jesus knows about Judah and his brothers. Why? Because there's something Judah and his brothers did. They sold one of their youngest brothers, Joseph, into slavery. Remember that story we've talked about before? 
and then lied about what happened to Joseph and told dad, Judah, that Joseph was killed by a wild animal and broke Judah's heart. What a mess. You talk about family drama. Judah and his brothers. Tamar. Now, we'll try to keep above board here, but Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Dressed up like a prostitute and seduced Judah. And he slept with her. Talking about a family secret. This is Jesus' family tree, by the way. King of kings, Lord of lords. Baby Jesus in the manger. I mean, you, you want to talk about you want to talk about a mess. You want to talk about the stuff we don't talk about at parties? Around the table? It's this stuff. Rahab. Rahab actually was a prostitute. That was her job. Ruth wasn't even a Jew. She was a foreigner. It means nothing to you and me today. Okay, so what? No big deal, right? But if you're in first century Judaism, you're a first century Jew, that meant everything to you. King David, fantastic guy in many ways, but he also committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had Bathsheba's husband Uriah sent to the front lines of the battle where he would surely be killed, basically had him murdered. And then Solomon, King David's son, oh yeah, he was wise except when it came to romance and he was a womanizer, made some stupid decisions, had 300 wives and about 700 mistresses. I'll say that again. 300 wives and 700 mistresses. What did the guy do with his time? <laughs> Talking about Christmas presents. Oh, what did I get her? her? No, that was her. No, that was last year. That was, oh. Then Manassas. 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 And Jesus' family tree got caught up in witchcraft. And actually sacrificed one of his own sons to the false god Molech. False god, Canaanite god Molech. Sacrificed one of his own sons. Now, okay, real quick. God didn't overlook, overlook any of this junk. Okay, God didn't ignore all this stuff. There were consequences for people's choices. Like there always are consequences for our choices. It's not that God didn't care about all this stuff. It's just that God... Use these people in spite of all of that. Because of his grace and his love, he found a way to use these people in spite of all of their shortcomings that they paid greatly for. Consequences were real. But God saw through all of that and found a way to use them out of his grace and brought them all to the table through his grace. All these broken people. You got broken people in your family? This is about the time that I would suggest you go ahead and be thinking about your own table. Your own family, your own friend group, your circle of relationships. You got family drama? Anybody? Anybody want to share? No, no. You got any secrets? You got any stuff that you just hope they don't bring up? Because you know, oh, oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let her bring this up. Oh, please help my uncle not to talk about that. You got stuff? 
You, you got stuff that you hope nobody brings up and you hope we just don't go there. And you hope they really just don't say anything to them because every time they say something to them, it just the whole thing blows up. And Yeah. Sounds like your table and my table is in need of God's grace as well. You see, God brought them all to the table. God brought all these people to the table through his grace. You, you know the saying that, that you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family? Well, Jesus actually could have picked his family, and he did. He, he could have been born. God could have sent Jesus into any family tree, and he chose that one. That one. I mean, a lot of these people, if they were living today, you wouldn't even call them Christians. That's Jesus' family tree. And God brought them all to the table through his grace, by his grace, and used them in such a way to make sure the world knew his plan was not going to be stopped. No matter what these guys, these men, these women did or did not do, God was going to find a way through all of it to achieve his plan. And he did so using these imperfect, broken people because of his grace. Grace brought them to the table. And listen very carefully. Grace has brought you to the table as well. You are at the table you are at. The people at your table are at your table because of God's grace. John writes in John chapter 1, this is beautiful, I love this. Out of his fullness, talking about Jesus, we, we me and you, we have all, that's all of us, which leaves out none of us, so that's everybody now. We're all at the table here in the setting. We have all received grace in the place of grace already given. That God, through Jesus, has given all of us grace in the place of grace that he's already given us before. That we burn through, that we sin through, that we wear out, that we take advantage of, that we just blow through in our selfishness and in our humanness to the point where we need more grace. So he gives us grace in the place of the grace that he's already given us. The literal Greek translation here is grace upon grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's a lot of grace. And you've received that much grace and I've received that much grace. In fact, we are all recipients of more grace from God through Jesus than we can possibly imagine. You look in the mirror, you just need to know that. Unless you are one of the people that look in the mirror and go, well, not, not so much me. I'm a pretty good girl. I'm a, I'm a good boy. Well, then your pride right there is reason enough for God's grace in your life. God has given us grace upon grace. In other words, grace has welcomed us all to the table. No matter who we are or what we've done. Just see Jesus' ancestral line, his family tree. And you thought your family was messed up. Well, it is. So is mine. But grace is what makes a table what it should be, what it ought to be, what it could be. And we're, again, we're not talking about the grace that you say. Because grace is not just what you say, it's what you experience. 
So let me ask you a question. What do you want to be remembered about your table? What do you want to be remembered? What do you want your children to remember about your table? They already know it's not perfect. What do you want your grandchildren to remember about your table? I mean, they already know there's issues. I mean, they already know there's secrets. They already know that there's drama. But what do you want them to remember about your table? I don't know about you, but I bet you're like me in that you want your table to be remembered as a place of grace. Because, see, we are not just recipients of God's grace. We are stewards of God's grace, which means we don't just consume it. We share it. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of grace needed at our tables because there's a lot of mess. There's a lot of stuff. We need to receive God's grace and we need to share it with each other. In other words, we need to create an environment of grace at our tables, an environment of grace. That's just the way it works. That's the rule, the rule of grace. Now, some of you are thinking, well, well, that, that sounds beautiful. That sounds wonderful. But what about truth? What about boundaries? What about, what about the other rules? Because Jesus was not just full of grace. He was full of grace and truth. You're exactly right. And there's a time and a place for truthfulness. Absolutely. And honesty. And boundaries. And accountability. But let me remind you. That the passage says that out of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. He didn't say truth upon truth. That Jesus was just as truthful as he was gracious. But what's interesting is if you read Jesus' ministry, there was only a couple of times that Jesus was accused of being too truthful. That's just too, you're being so honest. Okay, back off, back off, back off, Jesus. It's a little bit too much. But he was often, and most of the time, he was accused of being too gracious. If you're going to err, err on the side of grace. If you and I have never been accused of being too gracious at our tables, then we have never been as gracious at our tables as Jesus has been with us. No, grace is not soft. Grace is not shallow. Grace doesn't ignore stuff, okay? Grace goes to the heart level and loves people at the table and accepts them at the table just as they are and gives them grace anyway. Grace upon grace already given. You see, it's the messiness that makes grace what grace is anyway. Without the mess, there's no need for grace. Without the family drama, without the family secrets, without the, oh my goodness, I hope they don't, and I can't believe they did, and she just went there, uh-oh. And then, oh, I, I hope they don't even show up, and oh, they did unannounced, and oh my goodness, it's, it's going get, to get messy. See, that's why a table needs grace to begin with. Not just what we say kind of grace, but what we experience. All right, somebody ask you, what's going on at your table? I want you to think about your table. How does your table need grace? God's grace. How do you need to receive it and how do you need to share it? 
Because see, the truth is, everybody at your table brings their own stuff to the table. Everybody brings something. Expectations, issues, drama, anger, discouragement, anxiety, depression, bitterness. Everybody brings something to the table. And it all converges at one place. That's why you need grace. What's going on at yours? Who needs loved? Let me ask it like that. Who needs loved at your table? And I, I, know, I know the right answer is, well, everybody needs love, Pastor. We all know that. Of course, absolutely. But I mean, who really needs to know this year, right now? Who needs to know right now that they're loved unconditionally? Who's really screwed up? Who, who, who's really thinking, oh, man, I, I just don't belong here anymore. I don't fit anymore. Who needs mercy? Who needs forgiving? Who needs to be forgiven at your table? Who blew up the last table because of what they said and what they did? Who's embarrassed the family? Who may be embarrassed to be there? Who's barely there and needs another chance? Another chance, a, a second chance, a third chance. Well, I don't know, man. I tell you, they made their bed and they just need to lie in it. Man, they had it coming. We all tried to tell them. Everybody at the table, you tried to tell them too, didn't you? Yeah, I tried to tell them. You tried to tell them. Yeah, we all, yeah, we all tried to tell them. We, we just all know it. And we just, here they are. They've made a mess of their own life and they're just going to have to deal with it. Oh, we, really? Have we, have we forgotten how much grace that we've received in the place of grace already given who needs another chance? Who needs to be heard at your table? Who at your table is just kind of often just kind of fades into the background and, and everybody just needs to stop talking and listen to them for a little bit because they may have something to say or share. That's worth hearing. Who needs compassion? Who really has made some stupid choices? I mean, who really has brought it on themselves? Who at your table has made a mess of their life, but they don't need it, I told you so. And they don't need, well, it's about time. And they don't need, oh, we tried to tell you. They need some compassion. See, that's what grace does. And that's what Jesus did, beautifully. Who needs Patience. Who needs to be encouraged at the table? Who at your table is just about ready to tap out and excuse themselves? Say, I just can't do it anymore. Who needs encouragement and grace at your table? And what situation, what situation at your table right now just needs the grace of God poured all over it? Because you know, you know the tensions, the tensions, you know, what's going on that's making the tensions high. You know what I'm talking about. And emotions are just right there. And it's only going to take the slightest little nothing. All it's going to take is just a little bit. And it's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And then it's going to be on, man. I mean, it's going to explode or that's, it's going to crack. And it's going to just, it's going to be a mess. 
Where do you need God's grace? Because the tensions are so high and the stress is so thick. Maybe it's because there's an empty seat at your table this year. And everybody knows it. Everybody feels it. Maybe because of a separation or a divorce. And somebody that was at the table last year is not at the table anymore. And we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. You don't go there. But it's there. Or maybe because of COVID, separation put miles between family. Or in a very real sense, maybe someone you love died this year. Somebody that was at the table last year, whose seat will be empty this year. And you just need God's grace and strength. Grace is what makes a table what it can be, what it ought to be. Maybe it's a financial situation at your table this year. Or a job thing or a health thing. Maybe somebody's really sick. And you wonder if this will be the last table, the last time. They're with the table with you and they've gathered. And you never know. Grace. Oh, it's not just stuff we say before we eat. It's an experience. And you need it and you need to share it. And God is abundance in it. And out of the fullness of his grace. He has given all of us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And that's the environment we need to create. So that's my challenge to you. What do you want to be remembered about your table? May it be remembered that it's a place. Not a perfect place. Not a place where it always goes swimmingly well. It's all squeaky clean. No. No, but no matter what, it's a place of grace. Hey, listen, if you're young and you're just starting out, make the decision right now. Do the hard work right now. Let it be known right now that your table is going to be a place of grace. If you've got young kids, start right now. If your kids are older, start right now. It's never too late. Hey, listen, if you're a grandparent and you look back and go, man, we've let too much go from now on, this table will be a place of grace and we're going to love each other period and we're going to help each other and we're going to give grace because we've been recipients of more grace than we can imagine upon grace upon grace may your table be filled with grace let's pray our father we thank you for this rule of grace that you established. You illustrated it so powerfully through Jesus's genealogy. In the, in the oddest of ways, you made it very clear. Your plan will not be stopped. Nothing will stop it. It will be accomplished. And it was accomplished by grace. You included people we would have never included and that's good news because that means you include people like us. And we often forget just how much grace we've already received. 
So Father, may we create an environment at our table, in our families, among our friends, in our relationship circles, both not just around the holidays, but every day, an environment of grace. Now show us and help us. And and may our tables be remembered by the fact that they were places not of perfection, not of everything always working out, but a place where we brought all of the issues and the drama and the challenges of life and we brought ourselves and all of our issues and challenges to the table and we were recipients and stewards of grace. Father, I I don't know what's going on at the tables represented in this room and among our family and friends that are joining us. I, I don't know what's happening in the tables that we see here and the tables we can't see. But you do. And you know how much grace we need and exactly how and where. May this Christmas we be reminded of just how great your grace is. And may we share it and experience it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.